This is a podcast from the Business Times. Sell in May and go away. That old market adage is based on the idea that stocks often underperform from May to October. So investors should simply get out of the market and go on holiday. I don't know if this is based on any real empirical evidence, but in my own experience, financial market turbulence and crises, when they happen, tend to reach a crescendo around the month of October. And in those instances, it would have been a good thing to be out of the market by May. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at The Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in The Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the month of May 2023, and folks who've been following my columns and podcasts will know that I've been feeling rather nervous ever since the US Federal Reserve began hiking interest rates last year in order to address surging inflation. The way I see it, bringing inflation under control will mean a significant slowdown in economic growth and a slump in corporate profitability. I've also been concerned that pockets of excesses built up during the long period of ultra-low interest rates might unwind in a disorderly manner in the face of rapidly tightening monetary policy. And indeed, over the last couple of months, there have been a string of bank failures in the US, as well as signs of an economic slowdown. Back when inflation was very subdued, these signs of trouble would have been more than enough to prompt the Fed to contemplate cutting rates. But inflation is evidently still a concern, and the Fed last week raised the target rate for the federal funds rate by a further 25 basis points to between 5 and 5.25%. Many market watchers are betting this will be the last Fed rate hike for a while, and that consequently, we're going to see a rebound in economic growth and stock prices. But Even if there are no further rate hikes for the rest of this year, I would be very cautious about the market over the next few months. In episode 30 of this podcast series, I said the Fed has been playing catch-up with its rate hikes over the past year, and the lagged effect of all the rate hikes that have already taken place is still working its way through the economy and financial system. If interest rates are held at this level for a while, we could yet see further stress in US banks and weaker economic activity and corporate earnings in the months ahead. And in kind of a vicious cycle, this is likely to lead to tighter financial conditions. Banks will become cautious about managing their assets and deploying their capital, and debt could become more expensive and less available to some potential borrowers. So my sense is that we could be headed for a tough few months, as far as stocks are concerned. Now, inflation and interest rates have also gone up in this part of the world. But another problem policymakers in Singapore are facing is surging inflation in property prices. I wanted to bring this up because of the obvious analogy between the stock market and real estate market. In my view, property prices in Singapore are surging because of the same fundamental imbalances that have resulted in consumer price inflation in the US and around the world rising so strongly over the past year. In the first place, interest rates were very low for a very long time. And with the reopening of international borders after the pandemic, economic activity restarted suddenly, resulting in bottlenecks and supply pressures. In Singapore, rents for residential properties have also suddenly surged with the post-pandemic reopening, and there have apparently been a lot of wealthy foreigners coming to Singapore to live and work. Singapore is taking a very serious view of this issue, of course. Less than two weeks ago, on April 27, it rolled out another round of property cooling measures. Specifically, it implemented hikes in the so-called additional buyer stamp duty for residential properties. In particular, the ABSD for foreigners buying residential property in Singapore has been doubled from 30% to a punitive 60%. 
Singaporeans and permanent residents were also hit with much smaller but nevertheless very painful increases in ABSD. Singaporeans buying their second residential property will now pay an ABSD of 20%, up from 17%. PRs buying their second residential property will now pay 30% versus 25% previously. Singaporeans buying their first home still pay no ABSD, while the ABSD for PRs purchasing their first residential property remains at 5%. Some property market watchers have said these ABSD hikes aren't really going to have much impact on the property market. For one thing, foreigners account for less than 5% of private property purchases in Singapore. So the big ABSD hike on this group might not reduce upward pressure on property prices all that much. The higher ABSD might also have an adverse effect on the profit margins of property developers and make them less inclined to expand the stock of private property in Singapore at a time when there is a real shortfall in supply, evident from surging rents. Administrative measures like ABSD hikes are also pro-cyclical, that is, they may initially exacerbate demand before reducing it. House hunters fearing that there may soon be another round of ABSD hikes may become more aggressive in their hunt in order to avoid paying high transaction costs down the road. I found these arguments rather interesting because they are being made by people in the property business. And these arguments are analogous, or rhyme if you like, with the arguments against interest rate hikes from people who work in financial markets. The surge in inflation last year was initially driven by commodity prices and energy costs, and later by labour shortages. The obvious solution, to some people, was for there to be more investment in commodities and energy, as well as in automation. The way they see it, higher interest rates only destroys economic growth and takes jobs away from people who want to work. So restrictive policies are never popular, because they're painful. People are always going to say these are not the right policies and keep hoping and lobbying for these policies to eventually be unwound. But high inflation, whether it's consumer price inflation or asset price inflation, is a reflection of economic imbalances that ultimately prevent the spoils of growth from being shared widely. With consumer price inflation, you find your paycheck does not go as far as it once did. With residential property price inflation, you end up living in a cramped space and carrying an excessively large mortgage on your back. So people who work in the real estate and financial markets, who put out a lot of the commentary about interest rates and property cooling measures, may be underestimating the importance of these restrictive policies and the resolve with which they are being implemented by governments. So is there going to be more turmoil in asset markets in the months ahead? Should we really sell in May and go away? I'm going to talk about that next. A monthly podcast inspired by the Business Times column, Off the Record, joined the BT Podcasts lineup in April. Conversations in which editors from the newsrooms of SPH Media discuss the modern news industry from their insider's perspective. Hi, I'm Howie Lim, correspondent at the Business Times. In the next episode of Editors Talk, I'll be getting insights into the strategy and thought process that took BT Podcasts from experiment to business unit at the Business Times. Are there more transformational changes to come? What is the potential of podcasts in today's digital world? And where does AI fit into the future of BT Podcasts? Information that doesn't just affect me directly, but might give you answers in your business sector's digital transformation journey. BT's podcast editor Clarissa Montero joins us next. Out May 8th. Check in for the latest in editor's talk from the Business Times. And now, back to Mark to Market from the Business Times. 
Earlier in this podcast, I alluded to people who work in the financial services and real estate sectors having rather self-serving views of the restrictive policies that have been imposed on them. And before going any further, I thought it would be useful to talk about some of the narratives on stocks and real estate that are often taken for granted. One of these narratives is that everyone should always have exposure to stocks as well as property because these assets never fail to appreciate over time. For instance, wealth advisors often tout strategies like dollar cost averaging and spout phrases like it's not about timing the market, but time in the market in order to persuade investors to keep buying and holding stocks, even when stocks appear likely to fall. And even though investors can gain exposure to Singapore commercial property through locally listed REITs, the conventional wisdom is that everyone in Singapore should also be a homeowner. In fact, it's been suggested to me that residential property in Singapore is safer than a portfolio of stocks. Investors who recklessly chase stocks as they make new highs can get burnt. Whereas in the property market, the new highs in land values set by developers tend to become a new valuation benchmark for everyone else. When I was hunting for a home in Singapore some years ago, a number of property agents I met would make the case that resale properties in one area or another were a bargain because some developer had bought a nearby site at a price that would require the new development to be launched at a much higher price than older properties in the area. In effect, they were saying property prices will always adjust upwards and never downwards. I was also advised by one property agent to really stretch my budget if I did not already own a home in Singapore. Her logic was that ABSD is lowest for one's first property, whether you're a Singaporean or a PR, so it made sense to put as many eggs as possible into this first basket, so to speak. But a residential property, if it's the only one you own, isn't just an investment. It's primarily a roof over your head, in my view. And you should ask yourself if it's really wise to have too much of your capital tied up in a single illiquid asset. The point I'm making with all of this is not that you shouldn't be a homeowner or that dollar-cost averaging and long-term investing are not good ideas, but to not allow yourself to become overextended or overexposed to any particular asset class. A well-diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds can experience a great deal of volatility. And even though Singapore residential property has been a very good long-term investment, it has suffered bouts of volatility too. If you look at the Private Residential Property Price Index, which can be found on the URA's website, there have been a few major downturns over the past few decades, notably in the late 1990s and again in the late 2000s. Successive rounds of cooling measures also triggered a downturn that began in late 2013 that lasted for about four years. Now, ever since the Fed and other central banks began tightening monetary policy a year ago, many investors have been preoccupied with trying to figure out when the tightening cycle will end. In my view, they should really be looking at what central banks and economic policymakers are trying to achieve. In the case of the Singapore residential property market, the government has been acting quite consistently. The objective is to prevent prices from rising too much. Even if administrative cooling measures are not ideal because it might prompt some home buyers to become more aggressive in the short term, the government is clearly going to keep pulling on this lever until property prices stop rising too quickly. One risk, of course, is that the effect of these measures snowball and result in a correction in property prices. And if you want to get a sense of what that might feel like, then look back to 2013. It was not a pleasant experience. In the case of inflation, the Fed has consistently said its long-run target is 2%, which is a long way from where we are now. So even though the Fed has indicated after its most recent meeting that it will pause further rate hikes for now, it also made it clear that inflation remains elevated. 
It's really just waiting to see if it has already done enough. In its statement, it said tighter credit conditions for households and businesses are likely to weigh on economic activity, hiring and inflation. The extent of these effects remains uncertain. Then it added that it remains highly attentive to inflation risks. My own interpretation of that statement is that the Fed has reached a point where it believes its monetary policy is sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation back down. In effect, it's also saying that it has done enough to reduce economic growth and raise unemployment such that inflation comes down. As I said earlier, many investors have been trying to look past the current monetary policy tightening cycle, forgetting that the whole point of the tightening is to reduce inflation by reducing economic growth and letting unemployment rise. So, should investors sell in May and go away? If the Fed is right about having done enough to make monetary policy sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down, then I really do think the next few months are not going to be a lot of fun. On a more positive note, if there is a big disorderly sell-off in the market, it could create an attractive buying opportunity for long-term investors. Indeed, some of the biggest gains I've made were the result of buying stocks in the wake of big corrections. So, even if I do sell some of my holdings this month, I won't be going away. Instead, I'll be watching the market very closely because things could be about to get really interesting. I'm senior correspondent Ben Paul at The Business Times. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.